Okay, so last week, <laughs> I think if it's meant to be that we're with noise, then it's just meant to be that we're going to have noise. Yep. Yeah, so for the sake of the recording, we're in the backyard escaping the noise of the carpet cleaning inside, but we found tree trimming outside. So, all right. Last week was, um, we talked about chesed as the sort of everything as the source of everything, and it unfolds through the different midos or spheros, and that within, within people and within our own life process, there's an unfolding of our koach, sort of the source of everything within us through the poal to the kiyum, from the koach to the poal to the kiyum, and that that kiyum is associated with re'iya, with being seen. When something can be seen, it has now come tangibly out into the world, and um, and that was associated with each of the avos. That that time of re'ia of seeing or being seen in some way was associated with the event to which is connected the bracha and shona esrei of that av. Um, that was last week. Um, it's also, I just wanted to, I guess, remind us that what we saw about chesed in Rav Hirsch's commentary on Notzer Chesed La'alofim, that Hashem does chesed or, or uh, buds chesed out to the thousands, Rav Hirsch pointed out over there that Hashem's chesed, Chaste Hashem, is often a term used to describe chesed that he does through people that when people are doing God's will, that may be described, especially great people are doing God's will, that may be described as chaste Hashem. Um, and so that is another aspect of it, the koach coming out into the poah within people, which is rem- very reminiscent of Rav Hirsch's commentary in the Haggadah on the word Baruch, may your will be implemented through me. Mm-hmm. And that to the extent that one's life is dedicated to the fulfillment of God's will in the world and being the instrument and tool of his chesed and bracha into the world, to that extent is our life, does our life have a sense of fulfillment and contentment of knowing that we are maximally meeting our mission and what Viktor Frankl, I guess, would call self-actualizing through that process, but really making that inner self of ours and, and all the desires of what we could achieve and the greatness we could achieve become true, not by trying to be something that we want, but by facing to do what Hashem wants and allowing ourselves to be the channel for that, which probably helps explain that dual terminology regarding the Akedah, uh, regarding the Har Habayis, Hashem Yir'eh, Hashem will see, ki bahar Hashem ye because on this mountain God will be seen. It's two ways, which is, which is typical or classical for bracha, because bracha is that two-way, Hashem is the source of it, and yet we are seeking to thank for it, and in doing so helping to open up that pipeline. Um, I was also very struck the other day, it suddenly occurred to me that the base Hamikdash is also called the Beis HaBechira. And specifically, this is something that came up in, in sort of preparing for Pesach, thinking about how in Dayenu, right, it's, uh, 
we have the, the detailed description of um, Dayenu, that if Hashem had only done this and not done that, if he had done this and not done that, each thing bit by bit, then Dayenu. And the last one is if he had not given us the Beis HaBechira. The Beis HaBechira meaning the Beis HaMikdash. So it's a place where we make choices. So there's this, on the one hand, it's the source of all of Hashem's bracha coming in. It should be only a receiving point. And yet, it's really equally characterized as a Beis HaBechira, which would be a place where we make choices. I, I think probably it's usually just probably translated, although I've never seen it, as the place that God has chosen. Beis HaBechira, but Bechira means a choice. Mm-hmm. So it's probably the place of choice, really. I mean, the place that you would cho- where you do choosing. And um, I think those things are equally connected in the same, in the same way. The Rambam says, and I was not able to go look up this Rambam. I saw it quoted in an art scroll publication in English without a source, which is always annoying. You know, the Rambam says, well, you know, I mean, I guess I can ask Baruch. <laughs> He'll know. <laughs> He's an expert. But otherwise, I'm just sort of like, well, this is going to be a project. So I didn't look it up, and I would love to. But he does say that when a person frees his thoughts from worldly matters, obtains understanding of Hashem's involvement in the world and rejoices in it, then it's impossible for harm to befall him. He's always with God, and God is always with him. It's quite a remarkable statement. I'd like to see exactly the words that he's using, because impossible for harm to befall, does that mean because he won't see it that way? Does That's that right. mean, is that like Enod Melvado? I'm not sure. It sounds almost like a source for Enod Melvado, but I don't know. Right. I don't know exactly. Okay. Um... But in the end, it comes down to sight. It really comes down to what is actualized and what is real in our world. What are we looking at? What do we see? What do people see when they look at us? What has become real in this world? And that is what, in a sense, defines what is happening in the world. And knowing what is, like, can we see behind the mask? Can we see that olam, olam meaning the world and olam meaning that which is ne'elam? It it, it hides things. It hides so that the spiritual world is ne'elam. And that unearthing process that it's like a big part of our avoda is seeing behind that, behind the olam, to see what really is there. Okay. So, Magen Avraham, Hashem is the shield of Avraham. We've given a few different definitions of that. And here's a use, um, here's like a beautiful tie-in. We, we came across this, I think at Sukkot when we talked about Ein Chadash Tachas, uh, not Ein Chadash, um, in Kohelis, there's a lot of Tachas Hashemesh, Tachas Hashemesh. There's nothing new under the sun, there's this under the sun, and we found that under the sun wasn't the best place to be. Remember, that was like kind of being focused on this world only, and the physical world only. And so when we talked about that, we also saw that at the end of Malachi, there's this description of, of the end of days, where the sun will shine much more strongly, mm-hmm. and that that would be damaging to Rishaim and healing to the Tzadikim. Um, so in Tehillim Peidalit, there's a verse that says, Hashem It goes on, that Hashem is the sun and the shield. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that's also because of Hashem and Elohim, like that it's paired with it, Shemesh Umagain, Hashem Elohim. I don't know, very likely. Hashem is both Shemesh and Magain, and the Shla describes it like this. And, and it's helpful, right? Because if Hashem is Shemesh Umagain, the sun and the shield, what's the connection? So he says is it's the shield from the sun. Now, all of a sudden, as soon as it's not just a random sun and a random shield, 
that don't aren't related. It's a parasol <laughs> shield, right? Mm-hmm. So then um, it starts to be a new way of thinking about all such comparable situations. Matir asurim, zokev kifufim, rofei cholim, mesim. Anything where Hashem has both the, brought about the Shemesh and brought about the Magim. He has brought about the difficulty and also brought about the protection from the difficulty. So let's hear what the Shla says. Hashem hatov adam. The sun is what's good for a person. Mikomakom, nonetheless, mirov chamimus lifamim yazik. Because it is so hot, sometimes it causes damage. Vetsarich lahasim mogin. So then Hashem has to make a shield or be a shield. Ohel umichse, a tent and a covering. Shelo yake hasharav, so the heat will not overcome the person. He won't get heat stroke. Raka kadosh baruchu letzadik shemesh vegam mogin. Hashem is both the sun and the shield. And I think that really that encapsulates that whole topic when you think about it. That which we know that we need to be shielded from because it can hurt us, it's what's really good for us. And it really sums up everything. Hashem is rofei cholim, that maybe the sickness is what's actually good for me. I don't understand always how things will play out, right? But that's what's good for me. Or zokev kefufim, that being bent down is what's really good for me. And yet Hashem straightens. And yet Hashem heals. And He provides the shelter so that that which is good for us will not ultimately bring us down. Yona and the Kikayon, yeah, the sun and the shade. I did a lot of work on that this Yom Kippur and Motzei Yom Kippur because, I don't know, I, I never spent enough time on it. So when I sat down and spent a little time on it, it just, like, really jumped out. I mean, it's quite astonishing, but I think we probably aren't going to go to that topic and it would be, have to go get the notes out. Yeah, that would be, like, a whole different topic, and I don't know that I've actually gotten to a final conclusion, but I definitely had some different thoughts about Yon and the Kikayon this year. I'll tell you one thing. This is just really not to do with any of these topics, only Yona. Okay. <clears throat> but I heard Rabbi Left say in a shir in the last week or two, <clears throat> he said, um, Yona, Yona was a tzaddik. And Yona was told to go bring a nevuah to the people of Ninveh. And he tried not to do that. And he says that was Yona's only sin. I mean, that's the only thing he ever did wrong in his life. And he didn't do it because he made a mistake, per se. He did it knowing he was doing an avera. Because it's forbidden for a navi to suppress the flow of a nevuah. Mm-hmm. And Hashem told him to bring a nevuah. And he said, no, so we've heard. Like, so why did he do that? So one answer that we often hear is because it would make the Jewish people look so bad, right? Like if they do, if he's going to go to Ninveh and they're like, oh, really? Okay, we'll do tshuva. And then that's going to look really bad to God when you look at the Jewish people and they've got Nevi'im telling them to do tshuva and nothing happens. But Rabbi Left said a new, a new way of looking at it, which I had not heard of or thought of. He said, Ninveh, Ninveh is the capital of Aram, of Syria, that region. Aram was the mortal enemy of the Jewish people. Aram kept coming in. I mean, it, he says, it's as if someone came to me, him, and gave him a prophecy. And God says to Rabbi Lef, go, goest thou, and speak to the head of Hamas, or ISIS, 
and tell them that if they do not repent, then in 40 days, I'm going to wipe them out. Rabbi Leff says, well, I would say, God, I'm really busy for the next 41 days. Talk to me then. Like, you would find something else to do. Yonah was being Moser Nefesh, not only in this life, but in the next world. Because, what do you mean, go tell Aram that if they do tshuva, they could be saved? Why would we want that to happen? That can't possibly be good for the Jewish people. Might be good for them. So that like opens a whole new window with the kikayon and God saying, don't I also have mercy on my creatures? Like, okay, but maybe not those creatures, right? Like, I'm re- really, I never thought about it that way. But of course, I mean, all the pieces were there. I know where Ninveh is. I know about it, but I never thought about it. That generation, they were the main enemies. So that's just like a tidbit there for you about Yonah. Those were the people who came and, and took this off to Bonneville. Um same were they Babylon, um, Babylon is in the same country as Ninveh it is now was it then I don't know okay now I gotta go okay. okay so now this is really kind of the closing department here I told you there wasn't lots of notes left but we decided we better finish before Pesach anyway so the closing department of Magain Avraham <clears throat> Okay, so this is from Rav Schwab's Mayam Um He hints to it in the English, so I'm going to just add that on afterward. But he, as he often does, he doesn't bring sometimes some of the deeper things so in English. So we'll go from the Hebrew side, which is this. He quotes a Gemara in Pesachim, Kuf Yud Zayin, um, and in Rashi, I guess. Amar Rav Shimon ben Lakish, Reish Lakish said, gadol, Okay, we saw this previously. Oh, it's it's in the Rashi on the Pasuk, sorry. It's not the Rashi on the Gemara, it's the Rashi on the Pasuk. Rav Shimon ben Lakish said, When Hashem gave Avram the bracha, gadol, that was referring to Elokei Avraham in Shemona Esrei. Because it's like a three-part bracha or a four-part bracha. Vava rechecha, I will bless you. That's zeu shomer melokei Yitzchak v'agad lo shemecha. I will make your name great. Zeu shomer melokei Yaakov. Thank you. Oh my gosh, they got big. Thank you. <laughs> they look good. Yeah, help yourself. You don't have to wait. Just not on my tzachad Yitzchak for Pesach. <laughs> the one time we're going to bring food to the table. Right, there'll be crumbs everywhere. Oh, right. That was the Pesach volume. Okay, the Purim volume, you know. Okay. And I will make your name great. So then we might think that you seal the bracha with all of them. And instead, it's Hashem ends with, and you shall be a bracha. And that's a hint to the fact that we seal with only Magen Avraham, not Magen Avraham Yitzchak V'Yaakov. The avoda of a Jewish person can be divided into two main headers, two categories. Aleph, Mesorah, Savosav, Shabiyado. The first being the transmission, the Mesorah that he has from his forefathers that's in his hand. And Beis, Avoda Satsmo, that which he has worked on on his own. I, I just want, I, this was really brought home to me um, 
we were away and we didn't get to Tzvi Apter's bar mitzvah at his house. Mm-hmm. We weren't there. But afterward, I was able to hear a copy of the recording of his, his great-grandfather, right? I think Rabbi Apter's yeah. grandfather recorded a Dvar Torah and sent it to him. And they played it at the bar mitzvah. And it was so moving. First of all, it was just a very beautiful Dvar Torah and very beautiful. You could hear, you know, the love to the son and grandson and great-grandson. And it was really very special. Um, but it was also a very powerful example of Masora, of having, and that's something that's not always easy for all of us to relate to, because even if we have, you know, from our grandparents and great-grandparents, I don't know that so many of us, my great-grandfather died before I was born, and my grandparents weren't really so equipped to be able to give me Masora in terms of Torah. I, I guess it's fair to say that that Masora comes down in other areas in terms of Derech Eretz and in terms of how we treat people. You know, it wasn't, it's not like it just disappeared completely. But other than the recording that we have of my great-grandfather, like not really have, you know, someone who said, look, here's how we do this. And even when you watch Rabbi Apter with his kids, mm-hmm. and he'll talk about sometimes how his father used to do this with him, you know, when he was young, show him about his davening. You know, here's how you do it. And you watch him do it. And I think, like, you know, I didn't grow up with that. I didn't grow up with grandparents who would, like, say to you, uh, here's how you pronounce it, or here's how you can practice it, or here's something, well, do it in stages. You know, when you're this old, let's do it this way. And then when you get a little older, you'll add that. That kind of experience that comes from having lived through it from the beginning and had your parents able to show you, it's so interesting. He's saying there's really two pieces of Misora. There's this one and there's that one. One is the Masora that we received from our forefathers, and not only forefathers, but our parents, and the work ourselves. When it comes to Masora, we recognize that we're not the beginning of the Kedusha. And someone's telling us, here's how you do it. We could have that from our teachers, even if we don't have it from our parents, by the way. Like, there are things where I have a Masora, it just didn't come through my parents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, sometimes, like I, I say, there was a situation where we had occasion to ask Rabbi Orlowick a question about a shidduch for somebody. It was not one of our kids. It was someone who was dating from our home. And he said, well, Rav, I have a Masora from my teacher, Revolbi, that, I think I even shared this with you once, that once a couple has met, don't interfere in terms of trying to encourage or discourage the match. You can reflect back, you can bounce back. You know, it could be something gets revealed that's a huge red flag. Maybe you should say something. But generally speaking, if they've met, you don't try and encourage or discourage. You just try and be there for them. But there may be things you need to do, like you need to ask the other side to provide such and such information or whatever. Okay, fine. Doesn't mean you don't get involved at all. But encouraging or discouraging the actual match, stay out. Okay, so that's something where I have a Masora from my teacher who heard it from his teacher. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that in that sense, there could be a Masora, nonetheless, even if I don't happen to have it directly from my own family. But in that situation, I recognize that I'm not the beginning of the Kedusha. Meaning this, this wisdom or this insight or this mm-hmm. method, I didn't invent it. I received it. Umi bli Torah Hamas and were it not for the Torah that was passed down into our hands, generation by generation, from fathers to sons, from teachers to students, we would have no clue how to serve God. As it is, 
right? We hit situations where we're like, I want to do what Hashem wants me to do, and I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And then it's such a gratitude when you find someone who knows and who has a Masora on it, right? It's not just, well, don't you think, maybe, let's speculate, let's try and figure it out. When someone says, this situation, here's what my Rebbe told me. You know, then you're, it's such a, a grateful feeling that Hashem has sent it down to you through all the ages so that you, ha you know. You know because you can receive the Torah. On the other hand, on the other hand, each person has an individualized Yetzirah, custom-made. He's paraphrasing a Gemara in Kedush and Lamed. Everyone has a personalized Yetzirah that is renewed, meaning it doesn't always attack us the same way. It comes back with new strength and new ideas. Um is gaber, and, it, and it's constantly increasing its power like every day. Like the flu? Yeah, you know oh. how like... It, right, you can get a flu like, shot, but then there'll be a new one. They make like it a, mutates. That's a, yeah. great, that's a great example. <laughs> that's a great muscle. And it always brings up new tests, and new kinds of tricks. And, new, you know, our minds are endlessly creative at coming up with new possible rationalizations and ideas. And a man has to gird himself like a mighty warrior, chalatzav, uh, gird his loins like a mighty warrior, and shalom, to do battle with his own yetzahara, as if he himself is the beginning of all the kadusha. There's an extent to which we all have to discover it new. So yeah, maybe at some point we realize there's some piece of information that might be out there and we go search for it. Mm -hmm. That's also, though, a seeking of us. That's us doing mm -hmm. <coughs> the initiation. It's us discovering or even integrating. You know, when you receive Misara, there's an integration process. There's a sort of hearing it and then saying it over inside of yourself to understand how it fits into what you see or what you experience or how you think about it. It's not like you just hear it and now it's inside. What, for it to be something you can use, you have to then, like, process it and turn it into your own in its way. And that's a process that's us doing it. And aside from that, there's a lot of things where we don't necessarily know the answer. For whatever reason, we don't find that answer right away. And so we have to figure it out on our own. You know, we can hear, you should progress in little tiny steps, but how do you figure out what those little tiny steps should be? What should my little tiny steps be? What should I be working on? How do I, you know, keep that going? And when is it the right time to add something more? Or when do I need to take off because I've done too much? In the end, like, those kind of things, we're really, each one of us, a pioneer. Just, you know, Christopher Columbus sort of discovering our own new, new continent. This is what the Tana is referring to in the Haggadah of Pesach. Mitzchila, oh good, so we have a Pesach tie-in. Mitzchila, ovdei avodazara hayu avosenu, ve'achshav, the whole Haggadah starts like this. In the beginning, our ancestors worshipped idols. And now, the, whole, um, the omnipresent Lord has brought us near, has drawn us near to his Avodah. This is, at first glance, kind of a difficult statement. Because we were drawn near to God's avoda three, over 3,300 years ago. What's v'achshav? Now God has drawn us close to him. 
it should have said, In the beginning, our ancestors worshipped idols, and then God brought us close to him. And now, no, he really meant now. Why? Because the meaning is, Right now, literally, each and every day, Hashem saves us each and every day and is constantly drawing us near to him through the avoda of him. It's not something that happened 3,300 years ago and, and it's done. This is something that's constantly happening now, which, if you think about it, is the opposite of, not the opposite, the counterpart to the Yetzirah, which is mischadesh umisgaber kol yom, is that God is also drawing us near to him and giving us the Torah, mischadesh umisgaber kol yom. Which is the same thing as the sun. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, it is. Therefore, we bow down, in other words, physically express subservience and avoda to Hashem, that we're serving God, in Shmona Esrei, at the beginning of the bracha of Avos, when we say, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. To thank God, and to subjugate ourselves to His service, may He be blessed. In the aspect of the Mesora from those from our forefathers, starting with our forefathers and passing down to the children and the grandchildren and the great grandchildren, and starting with them as the rebbe's and passing down to the students and the students and the students, all of us in some way are still receiving that Masora, whether we have it directly in every one of those ways or even only in part of the ways. But in addition to this, Korim, we bow down, at the closing, where we say Magen Avraham. Why? Because what's the difference between Avraham and the other forefathers? So on the one hand, we're bowing down. On the one hand, we're bowing down because each and every one of them had their own individual way of figuring out to serve Hashem. But as a unit, Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov, and uh, over there you have also Mesorah. They receive it from someone else too. The only one who doesn't receive it from someone else is Avram himself. Because Avram himself is the first Ger. Avram was Ha'ivri. The whole world is on one side and he's on the other side. He didn't have also parents on his team. And, you know, later on, so his brother joined him and his father joined him. And when he started off, it was literally only him. There was no one he received information from. There was no one he got knowledge from. There was no one he had support from. Lahoros, when we bow down and say, we are showing in our bowing down, then what's the bowing down? What is that service? That's Kabbalah Savodas Hashem Ba'ofen Prati Shal Kol Yachid V'Yachid. That is a receiving, uh, uh, an accepting of my duties to Hashem in a personal way, each and every person on their own, each and every person having to discover it on our own and not getting it handed down. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's both parts of it. That's what Hashem said to Avram when he said, you'll be a bracha, in you we're going to seal it. We're going to stamp, finalize it. There is a special power in the avoda of each individual Jewish person. There's an aspect of Avram Avinu in each Jewish person's avoda. 
as if he is the beginning, initiating the holiness himself. That that's something, that that's a different kind of Masora we have from Avraham, so to speak. Right. Which is the part that isn't handed down as a Masora. And that each one is valued that way, which is like a pretty amazing, amazing thing. Um, okay, that's something else. All right. So, help yourself. There's more inside. <laughs> this is it's it's Trader Joe's. You just defrost them overnight. Bake them. <laughs> Josette told me about them. <laughs> to put you in the Pesach mood, you know. Okay. So now back to the English Rav Schwabam prayer. The fact that we bow at the beginning and again at the end of the bracha of Avos indicates that each act of bowing expresses a slightly different meaning than the other. On the one hand, they're bracketing the same idea, and on the other hand, they can't be the same. They would be uh, redundant. So he says, the bowing at the beginning of the bracha is the thought that we are accepting HaKadosh Baruch Hu as our Lord and the Lord of our forefathers. We accept him as God because our forefathers recognized him and accepted him as God. And this recognition and belief in him was handed down to us by our parents who got it from their parents, teachers from their teachers, all the way back to the beginning, to the original Avos. He is the same Elokeinu that he was to our forefathers. And that has a certain power in that knowledge and in that acceptance as well. I sometimes think like how important when I, when I started to think about, so what am I grateful for? What has Hashem done for me, right? I want to think about that. One of the things that ended up jumping out after a while, it took a while to realize this was there were certain people at certain moments in my life who may not even have known they were influencing me, and I may not have entirely realized it consciously at the time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even, some of them are people I had a relationship with, certain teachers, maybe they taught me, but I never necessarily had a conversation one-on-one -on -one with them about it. Just the fact that they were so intelligent, and that they knew so much, and that they were thoughtful people who thought about stuff, and the fact that they had such a strong connection to Torah and Yerushalayim, gave me a kind of confidence that even if I don't always have the answers to things, I don't have to feel pressured about it. Meaning it doesn't mean there's something wrong. You see, like a lot of times people feel there's questions and teachers don't have answers, so therefore there must not be answers. But I didn't feel that way. I never had that like, you know, so some of it is, I suppose, like personality, everyone's different. But there was definitely a big component for me that was I see that there are people who do have a lot of answers. And when you do ask them questions, they have answers. And if they don't have answers, they, can, they know that they can go find answers. And so sometimes there were things where I didn't even ask, just because like, I didn't have the chance or whatever. But it didn't worry me. I knew that there were answers out there, and eventually I'd come to them. It's also a kind of a misora of seeing that the ones before me accepted Hashem as their God. This kind of like, I don't know, when I look back, I realize how powerful an influence it was, even though it's an unexpected, it's an indirect influence. It was direct in some ways, but it had an extension that extended beyond the actual Masora that they gave me or the conversations that we had. I felt the same way in seminary. It was, there was so much learning and so much input and so much Masora there that it, it gave a feeling that you you can question anything. You, a feeling that you can question anything 
paired with a feeling that everything, there are answers to everything. You never know how long it'll take you to find them. That's all. But that's not a problem. You'll find them. They're there. You just have to wait and be patient. And there may be things you never get an answer to, and that's okay too. The answers are there. You just may not get them. But that that's okay because there's a certain confidence when you start to realize that you live a reality that there are answers. That it's there. You just may not have it yet. Okay. But the bowing at the end of the bracha expresses the thought that not everybody has an unbroken chain of relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu through their ancestors. And when they say, they don't mean their immediate ancestors. They've had to work out their own relationship with Yubon Shalom. Now, this is different, how he said it here, than how he said it in the yeah. Hebrew. Because in the Hebrew, he applied it to everybody equally. You understand? That's why I wanted to read both, because they're not the same. This is how he said it in a shir. He said... People, there are people who have had to work out their own relationship with a Rabona Shololam, just like Avram Avinu had to discover HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. Okay, now, as soon as you hear that, you realize not only is that us, right, but it's really everybody also. Everyone really does have to do that at some point. Once Avram Avinu recognized the existence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he also had the courage and wisdom and emuna to firmly resist the negative influences of his parents and grandparents and the whole world who tried to shake him from his conviction that there was one Rebona Shalom. Start to recognize the power when he says that of Rav Hirsch's explanation of the He'en Bahashem, right? Where do we learn Amuna from? That Avram was He'en Bahashem. What does it mean that he was He'en Bahashem, right? That's Rav Hirsch, that he allows his feelings and actions to be guided by what he knows to be true about Hashem, even when it's not visible to him. But I can't say that when I read that, it occurred to me the kind of pressure he was under to to not be guided by that knowledge when it wasn't visible to him, when God wasn't talking to him. He didn't have Nevuah all those years and Ur caused him. He had never had Nevuah when he was thrown. He let himself be thrown into a fiery furnace, but he wasn't a Navi. God never spoke to him at that time. That's like mind-boggling. That kind of Amuna, that kind of like absolute, I'm, I, I have recognized something, I have realized it to be true, and therefore I will stay with that even though everyone's, the whole world is providing arguments and... And he didn't even get a Nebu about it. Though. And he hadn't had any like, Nebu until much like, later. Like, yeah. from Hashem that he was actually Yeah, right. and in, it's the truth, the funny thing is that in Vayera, they say that that's his first Nebu. Now, Lech Lecha is before that. A little hard to understand exactly yeah. what that means, but it seems like it was at least a different quality of Nebu. That somehow that was also increasing. And there's even another increase at the Akedah, mecha, um, with a Mechaze, not the Akedah. Brisbane, I'm sorry, it's like, it kind of increases as he goes along, but he's having to take these actions and follow through on these nisionos before he has that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the entire world was attempting to shake him from his conviction that there was one Rebona Shalom, a creator who mankind must serve. And that's why he's Avram Avery. There was no one else in the world on his side in recognizing Hashem. And then coming back around to you shall be a bracha, the heyei bracha, that Hashem is magen Avraham. How it, what's the, the, the statement that we say in the bracha that corresponds to you shall be a bracha is Hashem is magen Avraham, who protects Avraham. In other words, we're thanking Hashem for being our protector against the harmful influence in the world. That's the fact that Avraham is... Hashem who protected him from being influenced by all the idolatry 
and all the arguments and all the persuasions, both physical persuasion will throw you in a fiery furnace, emotional persuasion, your father has it in for you, right? Whatever it was, that Hashem who protected Avraham in all that time protects us as well in our efforts to maintain our emuna. That might help explain, now that I think about it, there was that medrash that said that when Avram was saved from the fiery furnace, the malachim sang, Baruch Hashem again Avraham. That protection from the rest of the world that allowed him to be the only one in the whole world and still be able to think he was sane and live his entire life based on that. If you look at, like, they do all those studies, those psychology studies, like, in the 60s, right, in the college, like, most people will not stick to their guns. Not only that, not only will they go along with the majority, but they'll question their own self. They'll assume they're wrong if enough people say the opposite. That this was, like, a supernatural help, and that's what we're thanking him for, is that he protects us also because we each need to make this journey ourselves. Okay. One... Last, last closing thought from Again Abraham, which is like a pun, because, right, okay. And uh, until I think of other closing thoughts from Again Abraham, which usually happens. Rabbi Lef quotes, <clears throat> Rabbi Lef quotes Rav Shimon Shkup saying that in the course of, in the course of Jewish history, there have been a lot of eras. It's amazing how many people are using <laughs> motorized machines. Okay, there have been various eras. There have been times when Klai Yisrael were stable, and then the fathers and grandfathers pass on the Masorah of Torah to their progeny. This is like Yaakov, who got the tradition from his father and his grandfather. But at other times, it was only the fathers who returned to the Torah way, after the previous generation strayed. So like Yitzchak, those children had fathers from whom to seek guidance, but not grandparents. And there were other eras when children had to seek Hashem on their own, like Avram Avinu. It's so interesting, the way it's saying a similar idea. But he's showing that each one of these is different. Eloke Avram is not the same as Eloke Yitzchak, it's not the same as Eloke Yaakov. Yaakov had a father and a grandfather. And that's not the same, because you have an ex... I'm sure there's a lot of reasons it's not the same. One is the feeling of being in a chain. Which is, if it's just the father, that's not the same chain. But also, it's not unusual for kids to think their parents are crazy at some stage (laughs) in your life, right? Like, okay, maybe it's just from age 13 to 15, or maybe it lasts a little longer or less long, right? It's not, it's normal for kids to think that they can do things better than their parents did. So to have the example, but, but kids don't necessarily think the same thing about their grandparents. Being a grand, having parents and grandparents who have done that is not the same as only having parents who are like that, which is not the same as being an Avraham who has no ancestors like that, or at least none that he, you know, was close to. Okay. Those children were the first generation to return after generations of Jews who abandoned the Torah. So I might think, says Rav Shemin Shkup, I didn't bring this only because it was a slight twist on the other one. I might think that in the concluding era of the world before Mashiach comes, all these various eventualities will exist. I mean, because that's... In all different eras, there's been that and kind of a mix of everything. But the Gemara doesn't say that. The Gemara, this is such a chiddush. 
The Gemara teaches us that when Hashem said, Veheyeh bracha to Avraham, you shall be a bracha. Gemara says, Becha chosmim, in you we sign and seal. That's the conclusion of it all. Avraham, only you. In the beginning, you can have Avraham, and then Avraham Yitzchak, and then Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov, and Bnei Banim. You can have it all. But in the times before the Mashiach, it will be so trying and so difficult that if one doesn't strengthen oneself to adopt Torah on his own, the tradition from his elders won't be enough to combat the negative influence of the era. In other words, at the end of time, it's only Magen Avraham. Each one of us has to actually discover our road and our way to Avodah Hashem because the environment is going to be so pervasive and there's going to be so much as we saw in other references, right? There's just going to be so much um, denial of God. And we see it in our, in our lives, like that this idea of denying God has spread so pervasively throughout the world. The attributes of Yitzchak and Yaakov, which are Avoda and Torah, right? You have Torah, Avoda, Gemilos, Chasadim. So Yitzchak is Avoda, Torah is Yaakov. Those will not <coughs> exist in their intensity at the conclusion of history before Mashiach comes. In Golos, we don't have a base Hamikdash to bring Karbanos. We have Tefillah, but our Avoda is severely handicapped. Mm-hmm. And with Golos, the Torah is diminished. Quantitatively, there's a lot of mitzvahs we can't do. We don't have Eretz Yisrael the same way. We don't have a base Hamikdash. And qualitatively, as the verse says in Eicha, her kings and princes are in exile. There's no Torah. Right? We have a lot of Torah, and yet, compared to what was Torah, we have so little. So what will be left in full intensity? Only the attribute of Avram Avinu, chesed. And in the merit of Jews performing acts of chesed for one another, we will be redeemed. Zion, and it will be returned through acts of tzedakah. And if we look at our era now, um, I've heard Rabbi Goldberg quote Revolvi as saying, because you know, we, we see so much cruelty. It's on a scale that I think we haven't seen before like unbelievable amounts of cruelty. And Revolvi said, when you see that there's a lot of cruelty, it means that there's a huge opening for chesed. It's the same power at work. One is taking it to a negative, going against it, but there will always be a balance of positive power to offset whatever the negative power is. So we live in a time of unprecedented kinds of cruelty somehow that people can do things that they shouldn't be able to do to each other but it means there's an unprecedented opportunity to do chesed for one another in a way that wasn't there before and this is this chesed is what's going to be left standing for all of us that's magen avraham hashem will preserve that and protect that quality and uh, i it's up to us to bring it from the koach to the pole and that officially concludes the study of the first bracha of Shimon Asri. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. Just in time for Pesach.